As we enter into 2020, we've begun a series uh, called Vision. Uh, this is a really big word, and uh, so many you may have seen some communication uh, about this season of vision and really fasting and prayer uh, that our church is going into and that we have entered into. Um, in case you missed last week or you weren't here uh, or haven't had a chance to catch up to speed, uh, we've called everyone at Hope Denver uh, to fast and pray together for God's vision for our lives and for our church, uh, as Pastor Tyler was mentioning earlier. Um, so for those who may have missed it or if you uh, just weren't here last week, I just wanted to take a quick moment at the beginning here to underscore some of what Pastor Tyler communicated a moment ago and what Pastor Ike communicated last week as we kicked off our 21-day season of fasting uh, here at Hope Denver. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear Pastor Ike's message last week, I'd recommend you check that out on our podcast. Wherever you consume those, you can find it. Uh, just search Hope Denver. Uh, but we began our 21-day fast uh, last weekend, uh, January 5th. It'll run through January 26th. And so many of you may be wondering, what is fasting? <laughs> and why would we fast? Um, so again, go back and listen to that message. But whether you're familiar with fasting or, or starting for the first time, Pastor Ike mentioned last week that fasting and prayer focus our eyes on God's will so that we can experience God's breakthrough in our lives and in our church. Uh, that's really powerful. And this, this idea of fasting, um, a fast is when the people of God choose to abstain from the typical pleasures of life, such as food and drink and media uh, and th other things of this world, to refocus our attention on the things of God, uh, even God's vision for our lives. Uh, this is something that Jesus modeled, uh, and he even said, when you fast, when he was talking about fasting. He didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast, which seems to imply that Jesus assumed that people who followed him would make this a regular practice in their lives. Um, and see, I believe Jesus modeled this practice of fasting because he knew the temptation that we would have to saturate our souls and saturate our lives with insatiable things. <laughs> fasting unwinds our souls. It unclutters them from the things that weigh them down, from the things that distract us and exhaust us. Fasting brings us to this unhurried place so that we can stop and be with God. Fasting reawakens us to who we are again, beloved sons and daughters. See, David uh, understood this. In Psalm uh, 42.5, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed in me? Put your hope in God. But he seemed to also know that that can be no easy thing. <laughs> and so he also said, I wept and chastened my soul in fasting. Chasten means to discipline. Uh, to refine, to clarify, to purify, to improve. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes my soul needs a little bit of improving. It needs a little bit of refining. It needs a little bit of chastening. Um, and so uh, this is what fasting will do for us. See, without chastening, I can be led astray. Uh, but fasting helps lead me back to where I'm supposed to be, to where uh, I'm back home. So, uh, really practically then, if fasting is so critical, just a few quick things here. How do you begin a fast? How to start a fast? Many of us have already started this. Uh, over the last week, we've been fasting. Um, and so, whether you've done this regularly, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of this idea, <laughs> uh, here are a few quick tips on how to do this. One, first, prayerfully choose a fast. Um, there's lots of different kinds of fasts, and uh, there's a few up on the screen for you. Complete food. 
drinking only water and light juices. Um, this is for the most holy of us. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, this, this is something that, that would be something to strive for, right, uh, to be able to do someday. There's uh, a few pastors in my life who I've known have been able to do this, a complete 21-day, nothing but juices and water type of fast. That's, that's incredible, and it's, it's something that really brings you closer to the Lord. There's also this idea of partial food, uh, choosing certain meals or even days of the week to not eat. Uh, this is something that I'm doing during our fast. During uh, the week, Monday through Friday, I'm fasting breakfast and lunch. Uh, so I'm not eating until dinner during the week. Uh, and so this is something that, that, that you could do as well. You might also do select food, uh, choosing certain foods that you remove from your diet. So uh, this could be removing alcohol from your diet. Uh, There's several of us I know that are doing that. Uh, this could be removing um, you know, things like meats or sweets. Uh, from your diet. Those, those are some things that you could do as well. And there's also this idea of a media fast. This is a big one. I think this is um, an important one as well. Several of us uh, communicated that this is something that we're doing, choosing to abstain from things like media, television, social media, music, uh, movies, um, and, and, and things of that nature, and using that time to focus on the Lord. And that's really the second point, which is uh, when you begin a fast, you should make a plan. You should make a plan. Uh, see, fasting is, is much more than just abstaining from those things that you're choosing to abstain from, but it's deciding what are you going to fill up those times with? What are you going to do with those times where you're not, not eating or you're not watching a movie or you're not listening to music? Uh, what are you going to do with those times? What are you going to do with those spaces? What will you do? Prayer, meditation, journaling, reading your Bible, worship. Uh, those are all things, uh, prayer, those are all things that are, are great ways to draw near to God. That's really what this is about. Uh, it's not about the, the, the rules of leaving something behind or abstaining from something. Uh, I was talking with somebody earlier who said, oh, I've been trying to fast social media, but I just, I just feel like it's hard. It's, I, I, I just kind of give in and, and go back to it sometimes. And I said, don't feel bad. <laughs> don't feel bad about that. It's not about the leaving something. It's more about what are you doing with the thing that you're leaving? What are you doing in that time? Um, and you can find that, what, what it can do is just call your mind to think about, hey, Lord, I'm focused on you. Instead of this thing, I'm going to focus on you. That's really what this is about. Um, the other thing, number three, is you should do it together. <laughs> uh, Pastor Tyler talked about our prayer and fasting gatherings that we're having all over uh, the city. We've given you several different times of the week, uh, areas of um, uh, town that you can go to participate in these prayer and fasting gatherings. Um, if you do it together, you've, you, you've just got these, these rich opportunities uh, that come over the course of the fast that where you can come together and encourage one another. Listen to the Lord's leading rather than doing this alone. Uh, this is a way to support and encourage people. Uh, share in your life together what God is speaking. And this may help us surface direction for your life. Uh, there's words that can be spoken and, and, and things that God can do in these contexts of community that you wouldn't otherwise have. Uh, so there's, again, those times are up on the screen. There's handouts with those times. Uh, make some, some intentional idea about attending one of those gatherings. I promise it won't be something that you regret. Um, and number four is, and this is the final thing, be present to the process. In other words, what you should be doing is fasting for something rather than just fasting something right? You want to be fasting for something. And this is this idea of seeking God's vision for your life, seeking God's vision for our life as a church, for your family, for your friends, for your kids, for your, your job. There's so many different things that you might want to fast. And as you take time to fast, you can examine your heart. What are you feeling? What are you struggling with? What are you sensing from God? 
uh, and I would suggest this, be, be patient with this. <laughs> um, uh, don't expect to see immediate answers or results as soon as you give up something. Uh, it's, it's a process. It takes some time. Most people who are really good at this idea of fasting, they, they report noticing changes and, and things that happen over time and over the course of their fast. Um, so those are kind of the, the biggest things um, that I wanted to call out here as we begin this, again, for some of us beginning, for some of us continuing in this season uh, of fasting. So as we fast and as we pray for something, we believe this is the perfect time to seek God for our church, for the, God's vision for Hope Denver. And so that is my assignment to talk to you about today. See, as we empty ourselves, uh, we can ask God to fill us up with vision for our life and for our church which gives me, brings me to this pretty uh, famous passage of Scripture. It's Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, uh, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Uh, let me pray one more time. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I ask that you uh, would speak through me now. Uh, Lord, let not these words come from me or my ideas, God, but I ask that, that it would be your ideas through me. Uh, Lord, let this a message that you have about this vision for our church not fall on deaf ears tonight. Give us a moment to focus on what you have to say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, vision, vision is a big idea, <laughs> uh, but vision is very crucial. Uh, vision is a very crucial idea. See, um, the Bible doesn't say without vision people might perish. <laughs> the Bible says without vision people will perish. Uh, that will happen. Um, and so this language might be somewhat harsh, but I believe it's biblical. See, without vision for your family, it will perish. <laughs> without, without vision for your kids, uh, they'll perish. Uh, without vision for your finances, they'll perish. Without vision for your church and your purpose in it, it will perish. The Bible says this very clearly. And see, I was reading a, a book on this concept of vision recently, um, it's this book called Visioneering by a pastor named Andy Stanley. And uh, I was reading this, and this sentence really leapt off the page at me. It said, visions are born in the soul of a man or a woman who is consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. Uh, it says vision demands change. A vision requires courage. <laughs> Uh, see, I love this language here because I think it epitomizes the language that we normally use when we talk about risk, when we talk about things that are, are risky. Um, it uses these words in a definition of vision, though. Words like tension, words like change, words like courage. Uh, it's interesting because these two seemingly separate ideas, vision and risk, these things are tied together. They're, they're, they're somehow linked um, and see, some of us are, are averse to this idea of vision, though. Uh, some of us are, are, have a hard time with this because having a vision of something, of what something could be, uh, it means change. Uh, and change is always hard. None of us like change. Um, but even deeper than that, so many of us lack vision simply because we're averse to the risk that's inherent in having a vision. Uh, the people I know that are doing the most growing in their life uh, are the ones who get up every morning and are deciding that they want to grow. They're deciding that they have a purpose. They're deciding that they have intentionality. Uh, they decide they're going to take risks. They decide that they're going to step outside their comfort zone a bit and try to make a difference in the things that they've envisioned for their life come to pass. See, risk is a conscious decision. Vision is a conscious decision. 
uh, let me put it to you this way. Um, like many of you do, I, I have a laptop, um, and if you don't use it for a period of time, uh, it goes into sleep mode, right? Uh, it starts sleeping. And see, uh, as Christians, I believe we can become the same way. Uh, if you don't keep demanding something from yourself, you just go into sleep mode, <laughs> And you just kind of start going through it. If you don't keep striving for something, if you don't keep dreaming, if you don't keep seeking God's will for your life uh, and where you want to go in your life, where he's leading you, you go into sleep mode. And I think we oftentimes even default into sleep mode. That's where we start is in sleep mode. We don't default to living a life that has vision. We don't default into leading a life that is risky. We don't default into pushing to see our dreams and visions come to pass. And if you think about it, so much of our lives condition us to be a, a risk-averse, to be averse to this idea. See, the cultural scripts that run through so many of the messages that we consume on a regular basis point us to believe that by simply believing certain things or desiring certain things, we are actually living out a vision. Uh, and if we aren't careful, see, these, these scripts, they start to create our vision for us. They start to create it for us. See, without vision, we see people become infatuated with mere ideas. See, that's a key difference between vision and an idea. Is an idea is separate from risk. An idea is separate from action. See, uh, there's, what, what this idea means is that anyone can have an idea, but it takes vision to enact it. It takes vision to do something about it. See, we see so many people in our city and in our lives, you, you can think of so many people who become infatuated with mere ideas. Ideas about what the good life is. Ideas about justice and equality. Ideas about how everyone else should think, right? Now, don't get me wrong. See, ideas are not necessarily bad. But without vision for those ideas, without the action to enter into the tension of what is and what could be, ideas can fester and they can even become toxic. See, ideas become us versus them. Ideas can become an idol in and of themselves. And if left as just ideas, they often leave us pretty disappointed. <laughs> See, vision means placing ourselves right into the tension, right into the tension of what is and what could be. And this means that vision is inherently risky. Having vision means you might get hurt. Having vision means even after much effort and striving and even when we can say that we felt like that vision was God-ordained or it was something that God spoke to me, even when we do something about it, even when we don't just sit there and let it be an idea, vision might not come to pass. <laughs> and that's hard. We don't like the idea that our idea might cause us to hurt a little bit. <laughs> we don't like the idea that uh, it, might, it might not work out the way that we want it to. And so we see so many who just would rather sit behind a screen and add a comment than actually have vision. And see, I think that is a microcosm of so much of what we sense and we know is off with our current cultural moment. See, there's a lot of great ideas out there. It's easy to find them. It's easy to consume them. There's a lot of great ideas. And many of those ideas are really great. Many of these ideas are really expansive. Many of these ideas are, are dreams and and they're, they're, they're things that people are, are really connected to. But they're all too often motivated out of selfish desire. This, these ideas that help make us more comfortable. These ideas that 
Maybe things could be easier for me. These ideas that maybe I, should, I, I just I need to do this so that I appear like I have it all together. Maybe I need to do this so that I can look better to everyone around me. And we bank on these ideas doing that for us. And when they don't, we, we become disillusioned. We become bitter. Some people even lose hope. And see, the important thing to grasp here, though, is that when you have vision, you're taking a risk. When you have a vision of what could be, you're taking a risk because you're not quite sure if what you're dreaming about, what you're envisioning, will play out as you think it might or as you think it ought to. And that's inherently risky. And see, that's the tricky thing about vision is when you enter into the tension of that, you can't really know for sure if you've even heard from God. You can't really know for sure, right? Um, but this is where fasting comes in. This is where fasting comes in. As we empty ourselves of the things that we think satiate us, as we empty ourselves of these things that we would normally fill our time with, where we would normally eat or watch Netflix or consume social media, we can spend that time in a concentrated focus on the Lord, concentrated focus on what God has in mind. And we begin to hear from him in deeper ways than we could ever have before. And this enables us to have deeper conviction about what God wants for our lives, about what God wants for our church. And this conviction is what moves us from ideas into vision. See, one of the best examples of this I can help in translating this idea a little bit more is to talk a little bit about this church that we're a part of, a church that that you're sitting in here. See, you being here and as a part of Hope Denver, God has given all of us an enormous vision, an enormous dream for this ministry and for this church. The vision for this church is a large one, and we, we believe that we have pursued God uh, for the idea. And in the action of starting it, uh, that we believe that the vision is God-ordained. But see, that's the tricky part, is we don't know for sure. <laughs> you can't know for sure. You have to step out in faith. You have to take an action in faith. And see, so many of you have chosen to lock arms together and partner together with all of us to help mitigate some of that risk, right? When we do it together, we, 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 we shoulder the load, we bear the burden together, uh, and, and some of that risk that comes with having a vision the size of the one that's in our hearts for this church because vision is so expansive in, in a church like this that uh, it can't be realized without a community of people coming together to pursue the heart of Jesus for our city together. We have to do it together. And see, a church, I would say, is, is more than an organization. It's much more than that. Um, it's not a group of pastors. It's much more than that. It is really the people who make up the church. And even more than that, it's the people who go out from it into their own spheres of influence who represent that church outside the family of God. That's what the church really is. See, then a vision for a church then is really a vision of the way the people who make it up and who are the church represent it in the marketplace of life, in your sphere of influence. A vision for a church then is really about what the people who make up the church stand for, what you believe in. See, a vision for a church is really about what you, the people, who make up the church do when you leave these walls and you scatter into your neighborhoods and your places of work and where you go to school and what you do in those moments where you can take action on the vision. That's the vision for the church. That's what makes up the church. See, fasting then is a perfect way to seek after God, to help remind us that as a body of people who come together every week, 
What do we stand for? <laughs> what, what are we all about? What are we trying to represent to those around us? See, fasting is a perfect way to fast for the renewal, for the restoration even, for the rekindling of what captivates you about the love of Jesus. Fasting is a perfect time to seek God and ask him to fill you up with what he desires, with what he is doing. And as you do that, that creates vision for our church. Because see, what I have found it is when we have visions that put our own well-being, that put our own stature, our ego, our need to be approved of, our need to make everyone else around us happy, our need to, to be known, when we set all of that aside, when we push that to the side for a moment, that is what sets the stage for God to perform his biggest miracles in our lives. And by extension, in the life of our church too. Let me tell you a story about this from the Bible that, that maybe relates a little bit further. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, there's a quick setting of the stage here. See, there's three key players here. Uh, there's Ahab, Jezebel, and Elijah. Um, Ahab was so wicked that he considered sinning against God, quote, a trivial matter, <laughs> the Bible tells us. Um, and Jezebel was so evil, uh, when she learned of someone who feared God, she put a bounty on their head and sent out assassins to kill them. <laughs> That's the context for the story we're entering into, because what, even more than that, those two people, Ahab and Jezebel, they were the king and queen of Israel at this point in time. Uh, they reigned for 22 years, in fact, and they established... Uh, Baal worship. This was the God that they worshipped uh, and that they, were that they were commanding the people of Israel to worship at the time. And they forbid anyone to openly worship the one true God. See, this had not happened before in the history of Israel where they were being commanded to worship a God other than the one true God. And so along comes this prophet named Elijah. And see, he, he decides he has a vision. He decides that He's going to take a stand against this evil thing that's happening because he sees this whole nation turning away from the one true God and bowing down to false gods and false idols. And this has gone far enough, he says. This has gone far enough. Um, and he decides to stand right in the tension of what was happening and what he thought could be. He even said, if it costs me my life, I'm going to do whatever I can to turn this situation around. So what he does is <laughs> he arranges a, a smackdown, if you will, <laughs> on the top of Mount Carmel. Uh, he invites 450 prophets and priests of the foreign gods of this god Baal to build an altar at the top of the mountain, and Elijah says he'll do the same. And this is where we pick up the story in uh, chapter 18, 22. It should be on the screen for you. Um, it says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of my God, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Both, uh, so th th the stakes are pretty high here, right? Uh, he's basically setting up this uh, this smackdown between Baal and God, <laughs> and basically saying, putting everything on the line to say, this, when this happens, we'll know who the true God is. 
And they're both going to call out to their respective God. And the God who sends down the fire and burns up these offerings on the altars they establish at the top of the mountain, that's the real true God and the one that Israel will worship forever. So the risk is high. The stakes are really high. And look at 1826. Look what happens. It says, so they took the bull given them and prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. (laughs) No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. (laughs) He's even getting a little confident here. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Oh, he's a little smug, too. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. These are weirdos. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. See, it's a total bust for the other side. <laughs> All the prophets, they're falling down in a heap. And now it's Elijah's turn. And you can imagine the tension that must have been on that mountainside. See, he even instructed some people, it goes on to say, to fill four huge water jars and start dousing the altar that he made in water. Um, And he had a trench around it that they did this three different times. And there was so much water that they poured on this. Fire is supposed to come down and burn it up, right? So he's pouring water on it, and he poured so much it says it filled a trench that he had built around the altar. So there's a ton of water here. So he's just, he's really, really confident in what's going on, right? This is really high drama. See, the other prophets are dumbfounded that he did this. And he calls on the name of the Lord, the God of Abraham, it says. And how he does that, I'm going to get to in just a moment. But it says, as soon as he calls out in the name of God, as soon as he does it, the Bible says, immediately, fire rains down from heaven. Immediately, fire rains down. And this all-consuming fire, it not only burns up the sacrifice they had put on the altar, it incinerated the stones that the altar was made out of. It burned up all the rocks, too. And you can imagine everyone is just in awe. Everyone is in awe. They've never seen anything like it. And all these Baal worshipers, they start to say over and over again, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And see, maybe you've heard this story a thousand times, or maybe this is the first time you've heard it. But I never stopped to ponder, why did God put his power on display for Elijah like he did in that moment? Why did he do it? Why did he decide to act in seeing Elijah's vision come to pass? If you look at 1 Kings 18.37, this is why. See, as he was praying before he called out for that fire, he said, oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. See, these are the most two most important words that you're going to hear me say all night. So that. So that. See, Elijah wasn't setting up this thing for his own gain. He wasn't setting this up for his own fame or so that he could be more comfortable or so that he could be more known. On the contrary, See, Elijah was jealous for the one true God to be known. He was aching for the people to turn from their idols and to worship God. He was willing to put his life on the line. And see, had the fire not come, he surely would have been killed. (laughs) 
He didn't know. He didn't know for sure. See, that's what I call taking a risk. That's what I call having a vision. That's what I call taking action, entering into the tension to see his vision come to pass. And see, what we can learn from this is a characteristic of God that you can bank on in your life. He will flow his power and his blessing to people who are jealous to see his name made great. He'll flow his power to those people who put his purposes in front of their own. He flows it to people who would take a risk by putting their own needs aside and say, Lord, will you please do it so that your name is made famous? And this is something that we'll always stand for at Hope Denver. As long as I'm a pastor here, as long as we're pastors here, we will always be a church that exists so that the hopeless in the city of Denver can find hope again. We will always exist so that people who don't know how much Jesus loves them can come to know how wide and how deep and how great his love is for them. This is why Hope Denver exists. See, it exists because of the words of that song that we sang a moment ago. It's because the Father's arms are open wide for those who are hurting and broken within. See, just like Elijah pleaded for God to act so that there would be a turning back to the one true God, this is how we can fast for our church to be known for, what we can be known to stand for, what you can be known to stand for, what you can be known to represent in the marketplace of life, in your spheres of influence. We can fast after this idea that I exist so that the hopeless can find hope. We can fast after this idea. Help me to play a part, Lord. Give me vision for how I can be a part of transforming this city. See, God's for Hope Denver, vision for Hope Denver is not to be another church that meets on Sunday and sings some songs and listens to sermons and has some small groups. That's all well and good. But this church doesn't exist for those things. See, God's vision for Hope Denver is to be a group of people that scatter into our spheres of influence and share the love of Jesus there. Not so that they would even come to the church or come to a small group, but so that the hopeless in our city can find hope once again. So that the name of Jesus, the name above every name, would be known. So that someone who has given themselves to things and causes and ideas that will never be able to bring them fulfillment can be filled with life in Jesus. We exist so that the hurting can be healed. We exist so that the broken can be made new. We exist so that the purposeless can find purpose. We exist so that the unlovable can find rest and love in the arms of Jesus. This isn't just about a vision for our church. This is a vision about every facet of your life. If you come here, if you, this is part of what you do. See, the way we will transform our city is one person in your sphere of influence at a time, one person in my sphere of influence at a time, coming to know the hope of Jesus. When the so that of your prayers, the so that of your fast, the so that of your vision is about God's purposes like this, this is when movements start. <laughs> this is when revival starts. This is how we transform our city. This is when our church becomes more of a movement 
than it is a place. It's when we have vision for the sake of those whose lives you come in contact with every day. Just like Elijah, he didn't, he didn't care about what the outcome was other than he wanted the people to know the one true God. He wanted them to worship the one true God. And see, we have to have vision for the sake of those whose lives we come in contact with because you may be the only representation that they ever see of Jesus in their life. We have to have vision for the sake of your kids and for your family who look to you for an example of what it means to have Jesus-driven so-that's, right? You have to do it for the sake of the kingdom of God who needs you, who needs you and your gifts and your visions to be Jesus-driven so that Jesus can be made famous on earth, so that his kingdom can advance. And that's what we can do on this fast. And as the, as the worship band's coming back now, see, on this fast, we can, we can be begging God to do something in and through our lives so that, so that his name can be made great in our city. God, would you give me a sense of how much you love me during this fast. Not for my benefit, but so that I can share that with someone else. You see how that makes it about him and not about me. God, would you give me clarity in my purpose and direction, not for me, but so that my coworkers and my friends will see me as a representation of Jesus in their life. It's not about me. It's about them. God, would you give me more time, not so that I can spend it with you and sing kumbaya, but so that I can spend it with those people who are far from you, who need to know you, who need to have a vision of what their life can be like when they're chasing after the things that really matter. God, would you bless me, not so that I can have more stuff or be more comfortable, but so that I can be a blessing back to others. So that, so that. See, if you make it all about someone else, if you make it all about the people around you, that's when the vision of this church really begins to take off. That's when the vision that God has for this church begins to move. That's when revival starts. That's when we become more of a movement than a place, is when you make it the vision of this church yours and yours about them.